I've lived in New Jersey my entire life. I've been a fiction writer, actor, playwright, blogger, gourmet chef, home renovator, event planner, landscape architect, and decorator. Now, I'm married to a professional drummer who is also an award-winning photographer, so the arts have always been really important to me. There are so many people in New Jersey that are involved in the arts, and I am planning to talk to all of them. Well, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them. And I'm inviting you to listen in. I'm Lucille Lasapio, talking arts and culture, and this is Hazlitt Coffee Talk. Jazz singer Jeannie Bryson, my guest today, is the most undiva-like diva that you'll ever hear. She began singing jazz back in 1981. She's recorded several albums, toured the world with her own band and also with Terrence Blanchard after recording his In My Solitude, the Billie Holiday songbook back in 1994. Unfortunately for us, Jeannie stopped performing several years ago. Jeannie has spent the last decade producing a film about her late husband, Coleman Coley Mellett. Coley was Chuck Mangione's guitarist, and in 2009, he tragically died when Flight 3407 crashed on the way to a gig. I've known Jeannie for many years, and it is such a pleasure to be able to speak with her today. Oh, and did I mention, Jeannie is the daughter of Dizzy Gillespie. So I'm here today with my friend Jeannie Bryson. Hello, Jeannie. Hello, Lucille. It's so good to see you. It's been so many years. Uh, we've known each other a long time. Yes, yes. I know everyone asks you about being the daughter of Dizzy Gillespie and how that's helped your career, but what I want to know is how that's hurt your career. Yeah, I wouldn't say it really ever helped my career, to be <laughs> honest, for specific actual reasons and also kind of emotional reasons. So let's just start with the fact that I didn't grow up with my father. I mean, he wasn't a, a present, an everyday presence in my life. My introduction to music and being a musician was, was pretty much solely through my mother, who, you know, just passed away last year. Mm. But she was a songwriter. She was a, a, a writing the music first and, and would collaborate with musicians back in the 60s. Kenny Rankin sang one of her tunes on oh. The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. She wrote with Ruth Batchelor. She wrote with Doc Pomus, who was a very well-known lyricist. And then she started writing lyrics. Everyone always thinks of my mom as a lyricist, but she really started out writing the oh. music. Well, she had it all. Yeah. I mean, my mother really knew how to write. And so I, I grew up in this world of music and hearing her agonize over recording her demos and things like that. And so it was really my mom, 100%, and I've always said that, and this is actually the first interview I've done since she's not here. So she really was the person that uh, encouraged me, taught me the songs, helped me in every way. I, I don't think I ever made a decision about anything musical without consulting with my mom about it, because mm. she just knew so much. Yeah. So with my father, I think it was a bit intimidating, even though it was a secret who my father was. So when I first started singing for years and years, nobody knew that. But in the back of my head, there was always this kind of... And living up to his... Uh, li li living yeah. up to... It, in, my, in my own head, not from anyone else, mm -hmm. but for myself. And then because of cer certain circumstances about me becoming public about who he was, it actually was a detriment to my career. I got taken off of some gigs here and there. It's really? a long, long oh. story. I am writing a book. Ooh. I've been working News on it flash, for, she's for six <laughs> years. Yeah, it's been a while with a wonderful writer. I'm I'm just telling my story. I'm not actually the okay. writer. Her name's Alexis Jetter. She is telling my story the right oh, way. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. great. We were working on it a long time. 
It's just my story. It's my story about my father. A lot of information has been out there about that, and I am happy to be able to tell it from my perspective. Now, I understand that back in 1981, the two of you, you performed with him. It was, I was called up to, to sit in. I mean, it was a sit-in situation. Mm -hmm. It was not, I was not billed with him. It was not a scheduled No, scheduled it was day. not. I was there with my uh, year-old son, Raji, his grandson, and my then husband. And he called me up on stage to sing. It was down at some high school down near Cape May. How did that feel Oh, it you? was, well, I had just started singing. I mean, I was only 22 or 23 at the time. And I didn't even consider myself a singer necessarily but he, I sang God Bless the Child. It was amazing and then my son ran out on stage as I was singing and, and so my father's on stage and I'm on stage and the, my baby's on stage. Now did he call you up as his daughter? No. Oh he just? Yes I'm just going to bring out a singer. There's someone in the audience I want to bring on? Absolutely. Yeah. That must have no, weird. no, that was norm. I that was expected. Oh. I, it was a secret. Mm -hmm. I didn't tell anyone um, and I respected that so yeah. Hmm. Yeah. At that time, as you said, you sang Billie Holiday's song, God Bless the Child. Yes. And obviously you're a fan of hers. Yes. What other singers do you look up to? Well, I want to mention, I also, uh, years later in 1994, I did a Billie Holiday tribute album oh. with Terrence Blanchard. It's not my album. It was on Columbia, and it was called The Billie Holiday Songbook. And I actually toured with Terrence for that year all over the world. We did, I think, 60 gigs so tell me, who were some of the other singers you do oh, look up to? yes. You know, when I was learning songs and, and listening, I loved Carmen McRae. I love the storytellers. Singing, for me, is not only about the sound of your voice, but the story you're telling. And so for me, the storytellers like Carmen, like Shirley Horn, I love Nancy Wilson. These are people that my family listened to, and those were the singers that I really loved. And then as I got older, I branched out. I, I loved Al Jarreau. Oh, I, I saw Al Jarreau <laughs> maybe 10 years ago. He should have stopped. I'm so sorry. Well, it he was, was a big smoker. It was sad. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. It's tough to get musicians to know when to hang yeah. it up. Now, a male singer that blew me the way the last time I saw him, because I thought, oh, he's never going to Earth, Wind & Fire. Philip Bailey. Yeah. Oh. Oh, my God. Well, he had, the, he had it's a one-in-a-million voice. And I'll tell you someone else, Michael McDonald. Michael narrated the film that I did about my husband. Oh. And he invited me to the State Theater when he was there, and I went. And, I mean, his voice was <laughs> absolutely perfect. Now, speaking of the film, tell me about that. I didn't okay. know there was a film. There's a film. My hat for the last 10 years, uh, I took off my singer hat, and I put on the film producer hat to make a documentary about my husband, Coleman Mallet, who died in a plane crash mm. uh, February 2009, February 12th. He was on his way to play guitar with Chuck Mangione. He was Chuck's guitar player for 10 years, and they left Newark and were on their way to Buffalo, and it, it was basically the worst negligible accident that could have been prevented that's ever happened mm. in this country for these two pilots that were not only not prepared, but were doing everything, everything, everything wrong, wrong on the flight, including being overtired and sick and not taking care and chatting. And anyway, 50 people died and my husband was one of them. The, the synopsis for the film is, life is short, music is forever. The film 
Chronicles, the music that my husband was working on for, for years in our studio. Singer-songwriter music, not jazz. He was writing and playing all the instruments and writing songs for 10 years. And this was left on his computer. Some were more done than others. Some were just about complete, except for adding in a real drummer and a real bass player. So it, it was not to that point yet, but it was almost there. And Barry Miles, who is a, uh, a genius that was Roberta Flack's musical director for years, and Coley had just started collaborating in that Barry was laying down some piano tracks. And when Coley died, we decided that we needed to finish this record. So Barry took the computer, got together with the engineer, and for one year they worked on it, and they found all the pieces Ooh. of the puzzle, and they put it together. We got Will Lee to play the bass. I think a drummer you might have heard of, Steve Gadd, played the oh, drums. Yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah, he's somebody that <laughs> like, some people have heard of. I know, Gary of. thinks he's God. He yeah. is God, Steve yeah. God. I mean, yeah, that's what people <laughs> call him. And all did it, they contributed their talent for nothing. And Ooh. James Taylor sang on it and played guitar on it. Now that's another singer whose yes. voice is just still incredible. It took about a year to get all the tracks lined up, and then a film crew came in and recorded the people recording the music in the studio. So it's a movie about the music and That's how it was great. made. And then there's a little vignette for every song. Nice. It's a beautiful film. But it's a nice tribute to him. It took almost 10 years to finish. We did a, the festival route. We, our first festival we entered was the New Jersey Film Festival, mm. June of 2019. We won Best Documentary. And in most cases, we got audience favorite. It's such a universal theme of love and of musicians helping each other out, even though they didn't even know, most of those guys didn't even know Coley, but they were so moved by his music and his story that they did it. I mean, James Taylor. Oh. I wrote him a letter. I sent it to Steve Gadd in Portugal. He gave it to James, and three months later, we got a letter from James's uh, assistant saying he's going to do it. Oh, that's yeah. so wonderful. So the film is out. Nothing's really out. It got stalled by COVID. It's time to get this out. Yeah. Oh, I do, I do have a website for oh, the film. Yes. So the film is called Sing You a Brand New Song, The Words and Music of Coleman Mellet which my mother, by the way, thought of the title for that. That's a lyric from one of his songs. It says what the movie's about. He's singing all of us a brand new song. So it's www.singyouabrandnewsong.com. Oh, great. Now you said you, you're not singing anymore. No, no, I have not actually sung. Uh, although I did sing for the record, I sang some background vocals, but it was like, you know, splitting myself open and... I, it was just almost impossible for me to do. The trauma of losing Coley in that way it paralyzed me for, for so long. I haven't flown since 2009. You know, most of my career was flying around places singing. And the business was changing. I mean, I don't want to blame it all on that at all. Yeah. I mean, but I just couldn't do it anymore. So I had to figure out other things to do to, to make yeah. my life rich again, you know? Now we talked about your mother being a really prolific songwriter. Was it always your mother that you depended on for the songs you sang? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much 100%. Yeah. I That's mean, why I, I don't ask yes and no questions. Yeah. <laughs> Who else was I going to ask? Who yeah. else would know like she did? And, and she had great taste. And it's so funny you should mention that because just the other day I was doing my exercises in the pool and I wear headphones, I listen to music, and something came on the radio, a song that my mother, I knew that she loved. 
and I just burst into tears mm. because I realized that there's probably no one on this earth that had a more similar musical taste as I did as my mother. Right. So did I get it from her? Maybe. Or but, was it hereditary? But all yeah. I know is if she loves something almost a hundred percent I I can't even think of a time she would say hey listen to this and I'd be like oh my god I hate that yeah it was more likely she might not like something I liked because I was a child of the 60s she might not have liked crimson and clover or build me up buttercup or something like that but honestly she gave me my musical taste which was hugely versatile Mm -hmm. and and really good so yes my mother as you know New Jersey has a trove of talent when it comes to music and you've played with so many great musicians in this area if you could pull together your dream band mm. who would be in it Mm-mm-mm. wow well um besides gary as drummer of course <laughs> i mean gary what a fantastic drummer i i just i was just thinking about how nuts i was when I first heard Line Drive all those years ago, mm. what a fantastic band they were. They kind of epitomized still, all these years later, mm. epitomized for me a band of such a high caliber. What talent. Yeah. Every one of them. Honestly, in all these years, I would be hard-pressed to find another band that were as good, mm. really, as, as they were as, as a individuals and together but you know I worked for 20 years with the same people so as much as I love this one and that one I mean my guys Ted Brancato on piano Mm. oh he is um Cliff Schmidt on bass Andrea Valentini on drums Rudy Petschauer you know we traveled all over the world together and in fact one of my records my last one I remember my my manager wanted me to hire the the hired guns. I had Kenny Barron on my first record. Mm. I had my father's whole United Nations Orchestra on the second record. Paquita Rivera, Danilo Perez, Claudio Roditi. I mean, world-class musicians. My third record, my Peggy Lee record, I went out to L.A. and worked with Natalie Cole's band. Mm. I used her band. Her unforgettable band was my band. In fact, when I met Natalie years later, she joked with me and she said, so you stole my band, huh? I said, only for the record, you know. (laughs) She was very sweet. But, But for my fourth record, I wanted to use my guys. And I actually had an argument with my manager. And they're like, well, you need some names. And I'm like, no, not for this one. I've done three records like that yeah so I have to say my guys they're the cream of the crop and I would still work with my guys if had I if I had the inclination to open my mouth again and start (laughs) singing again now you mentioned Livingston College I'm gonna go back to that sure that was really a hotbed of great music and great musicians who were some of the people you met there who influenced you well I met Terrence Blanchard there Mm -hmm. and of course he hired me to do the Billie Holiday songbook which was huge Mm -hmm. I was singing in in Manhattan at a place called Sign of the Dove, and I had every Wednesday night for a year with a pianist named Lynn Ariel and her trio. And in walks Terrence, and he said, oh, I heard you were singing here, and I wanted to come check you out. Well, he was kind of auditioning me for the Billie Holiday songbook. I did not know that. So I just sang, and like three days later, he calls me, and he says, I want you to sing on this record. We're recording in two weeks with an orchestra. Unbelievably, none of the songs that he wanted me to sing, I sang. 
they were all brand new to me. It was psychologically a little crazy for me. I mean, I was shedding like crazy, mm. singing them in my head constantly. And now that I listen, when I listen back to the recording, and then I think of where I ended up after touring with him for that year, I, I had wished that I had recorded after, after yeah. but I did okay, I, yeah. di I did okay. I mean, there's some singers out there that sound like they're channeling Billie Holiday. I mean, it's it's mm. uncanny, yeah. but I didn't want to be an imitation. Right. So I think I still sound like me, but I was trying to evoke her. So other than your son, what's your biggest accomplishment? Mm. I think I've been a really good friend to my friends, mm. and I think I was a good daughter and a good granddaughter. I'm grateful for that ability to have been there for them. I feel very lucky for the accomplishments that I've had. I never really think of them as accomplishments. I kind of fell into singing. I kind of opened my mouth and started singing and got gigs right away. Back then, there were places to play. Oh, yeah. If you were a 22-year-old and could carry a tune and had some great musicians, you could go work in a place for a year and get paid $100 a night. And, you know, that's what they're still making. They sure are. <laughs> my mother and I used to joke about that. In 1980, you know, I made $100, and guess what? If I go down the street tonight and You'll work, make I make $100. Yeah. It's the only business like that in the world. But I, I know I worked really hard for it, and I worked and, and got better from working with people that were better than me and that people that were encouraging me. I mean, Kenny Barron recorded me in 1990 before I even had a record deal because he liked the way I sang. He paid me to sing on a recording, for God's sake. I used to laugh and say, who gets paid by Kenny Barron to sing? Most people pay Kenny Barron to play, but Kenny, believed, he was my keyboard harmony teacher in, in, in Livingston. I mean, some incredible experiences. I played in Brazil on the beach in Rio, and Ted and I were there for three weeks playing, and that was the culmination of our trip. And as we left, the last, as we were finishing the gig, people are screaming, we love you, we love you, don't stop. And Ted and I are crying. I mean, it was like the most emotional thing. My tour in Japan, I did the Fujitsu Jazz Festival with, with my husband, and we were in between Michael Brecker and Kenny Barron. <laughs> I mean, I've had the most amazing experiences. I played in Uruguay on a dairy farm where 200 cows came up and were listening to the music and I'm watching the cows all walking over to listen to the music. Oh, that's so I great. I mean, you know, the, the experience <laughs> The universal language. The universal language. Your biggest regret. I don't have any yeah. regrets. No regrets. Now, why don't I have... That, Maybe maybe I'm living in a world with rose-colored glasses. I am a I am a glass half full person. That may be why I don't think about regrets. That's not how I operate, mm -hmm. and I'm grateful because I think people that are immersed with regret and sadness are generally sad and regretful. Yeah, unhappy people. <laughs> and, right. I, I, and I'm trying not to live my life like yeah. that. Well, you know, this this podcast is about the arts in New Jersey. And so, of course, people that I'm interviewing mostly li still live in New Jersey. Have you ever lived in New York? Uh, no, 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 no. I've lived in New Jersey pretty much my whole life. I, I only live a block away from the house I grew up in. I mean, I'm a Jersey girl for sure. So last question. What is the most wonderful thing that came to you as a result of being a performer? The most wonderful thing was 
being in other places in the world and experiencing the culture and the people. And that I know I get from my father because my mother and grandmother were home buddies. They were people that did not travel. And my father traveled over 300 days a year for like 70 years or something. So I think that the experiences that I've had and the friendships that I've developed with my band and with the people that love you enough to bring you to Italy or bring you to Spain, it's, it's not just like people clapping for you. It was way deeper than that. Perfect example. My mother wrote a song called Solamente Tu. When I was in Spain, I was singing in a small club and I'm singing it, and when I got to the chorus, all of a sudden, the entire audience is singing with solamente tu. And I was like, I got goosebumps thinking about it. <laughs> like, what a thrill. And then one other thing. I was in Istanbul. I'm singing at a brand new jazz club. The waiter comes up and hands me a rose and a note. And it's like, I hope you remember me. Uh, I, can't, I can't think of his name. Anyway. When I used to sing in Princeton, there was a Turkish guy that, that lived in Princeton for a year for business. He used to come to see me every week for a year. Then he went back to Turkey. He saw I was going to be there. So in the audience, and I open it up, and I look up, and then he's in the audience with his wife. I hadn't seen him in, I don't know, 12 years. And I bring him up on stage, and I hug him, and I say, he used to see me sing in New Jersey. It was just completely coincidental. Uh. Here I am making this connection. I'm in freaking Turkey, in Istanbul, in a jazz club. Mm -hmm. Isn't that? That's just great. And then one other one. I was in Greece. I'm singing. A couple comes up to me. They say, you don't know us, but your father is the godfather to our baby. And he told us all about you and he pulled out his wallet and showed us a picture of you. This is after he died. I never, ever knew that he had a picture of me that he would show somebody. Can you imagine what that did to me? These kinds of things. If I wasn't singing, none of those things would have happened. Jeannie, thank you so much for coming Lucille, today. What a wonderful thing to see you. You look marvelous. Thank you, darling. <laughs> Gary, you look marvelous as well. It, it's so good to see you. I, I, I'm thrilled to do this and um, we'll keep in touch. Yes. I love the arts and I love to talk and that's why I'm talking to local artists. And if you like listening, then subscribe to my podcast. You can do it on this page, on iTunes, or anywhere you get podcasts. I'm Lucille Sapio, and this is Hazlitt Coffee Talk. Mm -hmm.